Let's get to our passage today. It comes from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Can you believe it? We're halfway through Colossians. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the Word of God reads, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you make this, these simple verses come alive to us. And Father, you make these truths come alive to us in such a way that all we would want to do is truly live all for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, recently I was talking to this couple who lives in a very, very old house. Like a very old house. You know how some of the houses in Australia are very old? Anyway... Um, and they were kind of sharing with me, Eddie, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, should we remodel our house or should we just knock the whole thing down, tear it all up and like rebuild the whole house from scratch, you know? And, you know, I was like, well, what would you do if you remodeled? And they were so excited. They were saying, oh, yeah, we would do this to the bathroom. We, we would have this in the kitchen. Da, da, da. And they're getting all excited, pointing out all the things that they would change, the things that they would patch up, where they would paint, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. They were so excited. And I said, oh, that sounds great. They said, oh, but the bad thing is, but if we just remodel, you know, the problem is we still have the, all the old pipes. We still have all the old electrical wires. You know, we're like confined to this, you know, we're confined to this foundation. All the creakiness of the ceilings and the floors, they're all still remain intact. On the outside, it'll look beautiful and awesome, but really the bones of it all, you know, it's kind of old and shot. So that's kind of like the drawback, but it saves a lot of money. It's a lot cheaper than if we were going to knock down and rebuild. But, they were saying, but if we knock down and rebuild, <laughs> you know, like, Literally, from the foundation all the way to the last tile, we can make this house brand new in every way to fit everything that we want to do, right? That's pretty cool, although it costs a lot more and it takes a lot more time. Now, when it comes to houses, if money and time were not an issue, would you remodel your old one or would you all go for brand new? What would you do? Who would choose brand new? Who would choose remodel? Maybe one or two classic people, you know? <laughs> you know? But most of us are probably go brand new. I would go brand new. Anyway, but here's the question. What about when it comes to your faith? Did you ever think of it that way? Your faith in that way? Would you rather remodel an old life you know, with its sinful foundations and worldly structures, and then one by one try to Christianize every area? Or would you just destroy the previous life completely and receive a brand new one that's centered upon Christ alone? Which would you choose? Would you, try to, would you do the remodeling or would you choose the new one? Who would choose the remodeling? Who would choose the new one? Just give me a new one, God. We don't want to participate in this one, I see. Okay, I hope you would choose the second one. The first one is that kind of doesn't make sense. Anyway, you know, here's the good news, though. Let me start off with the sermon with good news, which means there might be challenging news later. But anyway, let me start with good news. Here's the good news. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we've been starting in the past few you know, weeks, the old life has been put to death. Therefore, God has given you a new life in Christ. 
And that's awesome. And this new life in Christ, just as we've been learning, it's filled already with the fullness of God. And that's what we've been talking about for the past few months, which means that we don't ever have to waste our lives trying to remodel our old sinful life that we lived before we met Jesus because it's dead. It doesn't exist anymore, right? Jesus Christ died and rose again so that we could have a brand new life and live it out right now. You know, these past few weeks, Paul's been giving us a lot of warnings, hasn't he? Don't make sure you don't get spiritually kidnapped. You know, make sure you don't go back and enjoy the things of the world again. Make sure you don't seek after things that aren't about really about Jesus Christ, no matter how spiritual they may look on the outside. Because if you entertain those things within your life, one day you might find yourself cut off from the head. Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we've been studying. And now that we're here on chapter 3, Paul now shifts from the negative warnings to the positive. And he now shares with us how we can grow in our fullness in Christ and how we can truly live out this new life that we've been given with Christ. So in our passage today, Paul shares three stages of this new life that God accomplished for us in Christ. And when we understand these three stages, it will not only help us stay captivated with Christ, but it will help us live in his fullness each and every single day. Okay? So here we go. Three stages. The first is this. We've been raised with Christ in the past. So it'll be past, present, future. We've been raised with Christ in the past. Verses 1 and 2. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. These verses say that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have already been raised with Christ. That's past tense, okay? You have already been raised with Christ. But I want you to think about that for a moment. In order for you to have already been raised, that means that you had to have died first, then you had to have been buried after that, and then you would have been raised and resurrected with Jesus. So what's it saying? How is it all possible? What it's saying, ultimately, what's declaring is that your old life, your old, you know, driven by sinful desires, sinful passions, sinful foundations, and sinful structures, it has died. It is now gone. It has been buried. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. That's what it's declaring. And the life that you have now is a brand new one, one that has been resurrected by the power of God to now live in the fullness of all that God is with Christ. That's what it's declaring when it says this. And so verse 1 says, in light of that, in light of that understanding, set your hearts and your minds on things above, right? Start thinking and operating in that new life. Now that the old one's gone, start thinking and operating only and solely in that new life alone. A new life begins with a new orientation. A new orientation calls us to a new way of living. And the new orientation is what? Set your hearts and your minds now on things above. The, the phrase things above, it, it's a phrase that refers to heaven, okay? But, you know, heaven is a very difficult concept to kind of imagine and think about, don't you think? Oh, no, is it really? Well, it is. 
You know, at least it is for me, because whenever I think about heaven, what do you think about when, when I say, oh, think about heaven? What do you think about? You know what I think about? I think about all the cartoons that I ever watched as a kid that, you know, that pictured heaven. The first thing I think about is clouds. The second thing I think about is pearly gates. The third thing I think about is angels with wings playing harps, right? Do you guys think about those things? That's what I think about, right? And the thing is, those things aren't bad. Maybe that's what heaven's like. I don't know. But is God commanding me to think about heavens playing or, or angels playing harps? No, he's not. That's not what he's commanding me to do. What he's saying, he's say, when it says to set your hearts and minds on things above, it's telling us to focus and concentrate on the place where Christ reigns and rules. Do you notice in verse 1, it says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is, is the ruling place, is the place of strength. It's the ruling place. And so what it's saying is, think about heaven as the place where Christ rules and reigns. Right? And here we go. I'm going to make a huge shift now. Since Christ is there, and he's reigning there and ruling there, and since we now are in Christ, therefore, we are now there in heaven as well. Do you, you guys understand what I'm saying? Since Christ is there, reigning and ruling in heaven, and because we are now in Christ, we are now actually in heaven with him as well. Hey, wait, hold up, Eddie. Are you actually literally saying that we are in heaven right now? And the quick answer to that is, yes, I am. Now, look, here we go. I'm not dense. I realize that we are physically sitting in a room on earth, okay? I'm not that wacko. We, we are still physically here on earth, but um, we also are in heaven. I'll make that crystal clear in point number two, okay? So please wait for me to get there before judging me too quick, okay? But can, can I just ask you to accept this as the truth until we get to point number two, and then you'll see, okay? But here we go. Because here's the point. The point is, because we are in heaven, what is God trying to say? He's saying, now that you're home, or now that you are in heaven with Christ, that's your new home, right? The world is no longer your home, but because now everything that you are is in Christ, therefore, since Christ reigns and rules there, and you are in Christ, that place is your new home. Right? Heaven is our home. We just saying that, didn't we? Heaven is our home. I don't, can't say. Heaven is our home, right? We just saying that. And that's what we're declaring. That heaven is now our new home. And, and whatever, and so what he's saying is whatever you would do in heaven at home, I want you to now do and live out here on earth as if you were in heaven, right? Whatever we would do in heaven, that's how we are to live our lives here down here on earth. Worshiping Christ, making his name great in all that we do. We would live for his values. We would live out his character and his will in all that we do, right? And we don't do that by simply taking our old lives and just remodeling each area little by little to make it about Jesus. We are to live out this new heavenly identity. You know, we are to live out this new heavenly reality every single day as we exist here on earth. And the only way we could do that successfully is by completely setting our minds and our hearts upon the place where Christ 
is. What is that saying practically? It's saying that we need to set our minds and our hearts upon him alone. If life in heaven for eternity will be about the worship of Christ and making his name great, then that's what we need to be doing right now. So in order to do that successfully, we need to set our hearts and our minds upon him, who he is, his will, his character, his desires, so that we can live that out with our new lives that we've been given here in Christ. Do you guys get that? That's what we're saying in these, um, in these verses. Um, and when our minds and our hearts are filled with his truth, his holiness, his glory, and his wonder, that's when our faith here on earth will actually get transformed. And I'll talk about them more in a minute. But here's the point. The point is what we set our hearts upon, what we set our minds upon, determines our direction. What we set our hearts upon, what we set our minds upon here on earth, determines what we seek after. And so, you know, if we consume our minds and our hearts with eternity and the glory of Christ, guess what's going to happen to your life? Yeah, your faith is going to go there. Your walk with God will become powerfully intimate. And everything that you do will slowly by slowly but surely start to get transformed to be all about his glory. Because your mind and your heart is always there. But if your mind and your heart is always thinking about the worldly, guess where your life is going to go? It's going to go towards what's worldly. And it's very simple like that. So here's the question that I want to ask you. What consumes your heart? You know, if you have free time or if you have some downtime, what consumes you? Where does your heart first go to? Where does your mind first go to? That probably is a great indication about what your greatest desires are, you know? Um, I was talking with my wife this past week about this exact question, and I always think about my next vacation. <laughs> so, you know, I struggle. I struggle to think about Jesus in eternity. I do. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't stand up here saying, oh, yeah, I think about Jesus 24-7. I don't. You know, I think about, you know, my next holiday. I'm always doing it. I think our next holiday is like in six, eight months. I have no idea when it is, but I... I I, I know where we want to go. We want to go to New Zealand because that's probably the only place we can go. So we're planning that one. And the thing is, in my free time, I just think about the mountains and I think about tubing and skiing with my kids. And that's all I think about, you know. And, what, you know, it's, I don't know if it's sad or exciting. Depends who you are. But I imagine it. I spend, like, minutes of my day, like 10, 15 minutes, like, I imagine, oh, wow, I can't wait. And I start imagining myself. I'm actually there. You know, I'm going down the mountain. You know, I'm complaining about my frozen toes. This is me, and I find joy in doing, you know, this kind of stuff. But, and because of that, I end up just going on the internet, finding new accommodation, new places, new adventures. This is what I consume my time with. Do you understand? What you set your heart and your mind to, that's where you go. And that's what your life's going to be about. And so if you're constantly thinking about the next K-drama episode, oh, I can't wait till next week, next Thursday, it's coming out, that that's where your life's going to go. If you're thinking about work when you're in your downtime and you're stressed about it, that's where your life's going to go. If you're thinking about your family or your kids, whatever, that's where your life is going to go. So here's the question. And those aren't bad things. Don't get me wrong. But here's the question of questions then. Do you ever think about heaven and think about Christ? Because if we don't, we're really in trouble. Because that means we're, we're, our lives will never go there. And we were created to go there every day, every moment of the day. Which means that we need to be setting our minds and our hearts there so that we can go there. That's why this verb, 
to set is a word that literally translates as to put continuous effort into. That's what that verb means, to continuously put effort into, right? We need to put continuous effort to think about Christ, who he is and how he reigns in our heavenly home. And the more you do, the the greater the fullness you will have as you live out your life here on earth. Do you guys get that? Because your life is going to go there. And that's what you were created and meant to do. You know, our generation, we're not the best. We're not the best at setting our hearts and minds upon Christ and upon eternal things, right? But, you know, I think there's way too many distractions within our generation. But it's something that we desperately need to learn how to do. So I want to give you two practical points of advice on how we can do this, okay? How do I set my heart and my mind upon Jesus if I'm not doing that regularly now? Here we go. Number one, pray, okay? Pray. Setting your heart and your mind upon Christ and upon heaven only takes place in prayer. It's the bottom line. Matthew 7, 7 to 8. This is what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. You know, Christ was specifically talking about these verses. You know what the topic of these verses is? Seeking after him. So the promise, it's a promise. The promise is that if you seek after him, you'll find him. Right? The promise is if you ask for him, he'll give himself to you. Right? The promise is that if you knock on his door, he's going to open it. Why? Because you are saved for fullness. You are saved to have the fullness of God, and he wants to give that to you. So by seeking after him in prayer, you'll get him. And can I be more specific? So obviously spend time in prayer, but can I be more specific about how you spend time in prayer? A lot of times we think that spending time in prayer, oh, Eddie, I spent time, so much time in prayer. I prayed for like 30 minutes last night, but I didn't get Jesus. Now, I did, and when I do investigation, I'll realize that you spend 30 minutes talking about your life to Christ, which is great. Right, Because Christ wants to hear about you. But when you seek after Christ, let me just say it like this. What I want you to do is I want you to talk to God or talk to Christ, not about you, but talk to Christ about Christ. Talk to Christ about him. Start praying about who he is and what he's done for you. That's it. Right. The, the biggest deficiency that we have in our spiritual life is the fact that who he is doesn't impact us today. You know what I'm saying? What he's done for us and what he's all about doesn't impact us today. And so what I want you to pray for is to pray about who he is and pray about what he's done in your life and ask Christ, God, you know, Jesus, please open my heart and the eyes of my heart to truly see and understand how much I need you how amazing and beautiful you really are, how much I really need your forgiveness, your power, and your grace in my life simply just to breathe. God, open my eyes of my heart to who you are and what you've done so much that I literally, from the bottom of, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so thankful because you're the one that keeps my heart pumping and you keep me alive and you give me grace and a life to live for you. So that could be genuine. That could be real. That could be sincere. And Christ says, you pray like that about me, you'll get it. So I want you to start praying about Christ, who he is, 
and ask God to open up your heart to who he is and what he's done so that it could be all about him. This, these are the types of prayers that God loves answering. Do you guys understand this? Okay. So uh, prayer changes our hearts. It changes our minds. It changes our perspective. So please talk to Jesus sincerely. Number two, meditate upon God's word. Don't just read it. Meditate. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, I recently had my quiet time on this verse and it kind of blew me away. I was actually amazed at at what it was saying. You know, what it was saying is basically saying that if we want the joy of God within our life, if we want the approval of God within our life, quote unquote, fullness, if we want that within our lives, then we need to, in many different forms, collide our lives with the truth. Make sure that our lives are colliding with truth continually and constantly, right? Talk about it, write about it, communicate it, pray about it, you know, live it out. Do whatever you can to make sure that your life collides with truth. And the question is why? And the the answer to the why question is very simple. It's because our default mode is not truth. Our default mode is to do what we want and 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 to sin, But when we're continually colliding with truth, then our wills and our hearts and our minds will get bent towards holiness and towards Christ. We'll start to realize how amazing he truly is, and our whole life will become a worship to him. And that's what it's all about, right? The more you meditate upon scripture, upon truth, it will transform our perspective. It will transform our heart. And, And as we pray to Christ about that, it'll transform our will to want to live out everything that he wants to do within our lives. And I believe that's what it truly means to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. And that's what leads to a life that's continually captivated by Christ. So start praying, start meditating upon scripture, start talking to people, exchanging truths with each other, and let's really concentrate upon who he is. This is how we are to put continual effort into setting our hearts and minds on things above. This is how we are to operate in our new life. And all that was made possible because God raised us with Christ in the past, gave us this new life. Secondly, we are hidden with Christ in the present. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now this verse right here, verse 3, it answers the question, well, Eddie, how can you say that we are in heaven when we're clearly still down here on earth? And to answer this question, let me give you a little uh, story or picture or metaphor. I don't know what the word is. Um, here we go. Imagine this with me, okay? Hopefully this is something that we've all experienced or you're about to experience soon. Let's pretend that you just finished the last exam of your whole uni career, right? All 13 years, finally are coming to an end, whatever it is, four years, five years, whatever. You just finished your last exam, Last week. And so you're logging in, because that's what you do now these days, right? To find out if you passed. Is that what you do? Okay. We didn't do that in the past. You're logging in to see if you passed your final exam of the final class of your whole uni career. And you log in and you discover you passed. Congratulations. Because you are now a what? A graduate. Exactly. You have now graduated uni because you have passed. But the thing is, you look exactly the same. You look exactly the same to me. You know what I'm saying? 
And if anyone were to look at you, no one can probably tell that you graduated. Am I right? Why? Because what does a person who's graduated look like? What's the picture of graduating? It's like there's a graduation ceremony, isn't there? And there's like a graduation gown, and there's a graduation cap, and there's someone holding a, a diploma in their hand. That tells me that you've graduated. But let me ask you a question. Even though you don't have the ceremony, the gown, the cap, and the diploma, are you still a graduate? Have you still graduated? Yes, you have. You are a graduate. You put in the work. You passed all the work. You passed all the requirements. You're a graduate. Past tense. You graduated. But it's just not complete yet, is it? Because there's something that happens in the future in order to complete it. Do you guys understand? Right? That's something we look forward to, isn't it? The same goes for our faith. See, the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, um, we died and resurrected with Christ. He did all the work, all the requirements. They're totally satisfied. He even gave us faith. He did it all. So we're saved. We're resurrected, past tense. And we have these new lives now with our new homes in heaven and not here on earth. So our home is now in heaven and no longer upon earth, past tense. But it's just not complete yet because it'll be made complete the moment Jesus Christ comes back. Right? Then it'll all be made complete. So in one sense, yes, you know, we are. Our home really is in heaven. We are in heaven, but just not completely because it hasn't been completed yet. Do you guys understand this? It's a very deep theological concept called the already not yet. Right? It's a huge thing. I tried to explain it without using those words, but whatever. If I was successful, great. If I wasn't, Google it. Anyway, uh, no, but that's what it means. And so, But it's huge because so because in the meantime, it doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. I, I just want to explain it because that's what it's saying. But in the meantime, the calling is exactly the same. The calling upon our lives is exactly the same. We are to live our lives as residents of heaven, yet right here while we're living here on earth. And even though we may be hidden now in Christ, that's what that phrase means, to be hidden now in Christ, we choose to live as if we are there already. And therefore, we choose to live a life of worship, a life that makes Christ great and his name great in all that we do. And to make this point a lot more clear, I want to I return to that whole metaphor of remodeling for a moment. You know, for, for some Christians, when they came to faith, they literally chucked out their old life to live for Jesus. You know, I don't know about you, but the first camp I ever went to when I was in high school, like the pastor said, last night, everyone wants to live for Jesus. Pastors, you know, they hand out these pieces of paper and stuff, and they're like, you know, I want you to give a blank sheet of paper to Jesus. <laughs> That's what he said, not in that accent. But I want you to give a blank, blank piece of paper to Jesus, and, and I want you to offer it to Christ. And you know what that meant? It basically meant, here are my dreams. Here is everything that I want in this life. Here's what everything, my whole life is about. I surrender to you. That blank piece of paper represented complete surrender to Jesus Christ. And we're saying, God, you write whatever you want. I will do whatever you say. You are the king. I am the servant. And it's a privilege 
to do whatever you ask me to do. That's what it meant. And that's the picture of what all this is about. And so, you know, that's what it symbolized that that's, we, we surrendered all of those things so that we can now be directed completely by Jesus. To me, I think that's a complete knockdown of the old life. It's literally giving Christ all of our lives so that he could rebuild us to be completely his in every single way. That's a life that starts, continues, and ends with Jesus. That's a life that's determined to make Christ and his name great in all that we do. And that's the new life that we've been given. Now, for some other Christians, instead of doing something like this, something to that effect, um, they simply add Jesus to their worldly life. And this is what I mean. You know, a lot of times we tell Jesus stuff like this. Jesus, you know, uh, I want to do this. Jesus, I want to be about that. Jesus, my dream is this, and my values are those. So Jesus, help me. Now that I'm a Christian, please help me get all those things, right? So some people take that perspective. And to me, that's what I call remodeling. That's Christianizing an old life. And here we go. I'm going to be a little harsh on this one. But God did not send his, send his one and only son to pay, the, to pay the greatest price possible, which is his life, so that he could use his resurrection power to basically let you get all of your sinful desires that you had in the first place. Do you understand? It makes absolutely no sense. That's not why God saved us. God saved us so that you could live thankfully for his lordship every single day, so that we could realize that he really is the king, the lord, the master, and it's our greatest privilege and honor to be his servant every single day. Right? That's what we were created for. And hopefully that's our greatest joy. And that new life that he gives us, it needs to always start with Christ, continue with Christ, and also end with Christ in all that we do. And the key is not us. Okay? So and what you have to realize is, you know, when you choose to remodel your life and Christianize your life, it's actually that remodeling and Christianizing that we think is kind of good that prevents us from really experiencing the fullness of what God has in store for us. And the reason why is because our foundation and the worldly structures of our life are still intact, right? Those actually were destroyed by Christ in the cross. And we, so we, therefore, we need to let that go and truly live out this new life that God has given us, right? If you've been Christianizing or remodeling, let's repent of that. And starting today, let's live out our new lives that he gave us completely for Christ. Wait, hold up, Eddie. I don't quite get it. Does that mean that we have to give up our, our studies right now? We have to give up our careers and just think about Jesus till we die? And the answer is no, right? That would be kind of cool, you know, but no, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that it, it simply means that in all that you do, in all that you do, seek to give God glory, right? And so a conscientious Christian wants every aspect of his life, wants his heart and his mind set on things above. He wants every aspect of his life truly for God's glory. Therefore, he wants to set his mind and his heart upon things that will actually do that. And if you've never done that in your life, then you have a lot of wrestling to do, starting from today. And it's a good wrestling, okay? What does it mean? Have you ever asked yourself these questions? What does it mean 
to study completely for God's glory. Students, have you ever asked your, uh, what does it mean? You have answered the question and then move in that direction, right? What does it mean to have a career that makes the name of Jesus great? If you're a worker and you've never struggled with that question, struggle with it till you die. What does it mean to have a career that makes the name of Jesus great? And then be courageous. Whatever insights, and as you walk with God, you pray and you meditate in Scripture, whatever God shares with you, have the courage to change your life, to make that happen. What does it mean to date and be married with heaven as our goal? Wow, I didn't even know those two would go together, you know? Uh, what does it mean to have children, to raise children, to fear the Lord? If you've never asked any of these questions, you need to start that journey with Christ today. This is how we set our hearts and minds and things above and not on earthly things, right? We just need to be courageous enough to make those changes. If we don't do things like this, if we don't pray, if we don't meditate on Scripture, if we don't make our whole lives about Him, if we're always trying to piecemeal little by little here, trying to Christianize or remodel our lives, but we don't completely surrender and live for Christ, you know, one day what's going to happen, knowing our sinful selves, is that we'll end up just, you know, gravitating back over here, you know, and we'll end up enjoying the things of the world. And one day we're going to wake up, you know, hopefully never, but one day we may wake up realizing that we're actually worshiping these things again in our lives, and we might be one day cut off from the head. And we don't want those things to happen in any of us, okay? So let's not let that happen. We are in heaven now. We are residents of heaven, so let's live in a way that mirrors what we would be doing in heaven with the lives that we have here on earth, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lastly, we will be revealed with Christ in the future. Verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And once again, this is the logical conclusion. When Christ come back, we, comes back, we'll be made complete even though we look just like everybody else in the world right now, we cannot live like everybody else in the world right now. Right? We've been given this new life, and therefore our current life must be driven by our heaven, heavenly reality. So if you want to live a life continually filled with the, good, with the fullness of God, we must reside and operate fully in our heavenly reality and in our heaven, heavenly identity. And that's not just a mindset but it's a fundamental change in the orientation of our wills, which begins with Christ, continues with Christ, and ends with Christ and his glory. I just want to end my message with this. I threw a lot of heavy stuff at you, and it deserves to be heavy because Jesus deserves your whole life. You know what I'm saying? If he said that you died, then you should just die. Die to your old life. If he said that you were resurrected to live a new one and he gave you a new one, just do it. It's that simple. Is it easy? No, of course it's not. It's super hard. But if you've never made that shift yet, number one, make the shift. But number two, I know it is not easy to live for Jesus which all of your lives. We say that all the time at church. But it's not. It's not easy. It's so hard. It's hard to live for the eternal when there are so many things down here that are so attractive. And they're not evil or bad, but they're so attractive, <laughs> you know? And there's so many life pressures that we encounter that just drive us to become more worldly. The environments that we encounter, the people that we encounter. I get it. It's hard to live for Jesus. 
And we fail so many times, we forget so often, and we find ourselves constantly returning to our old ways. But in my opinion, do you know what the greatest part of this passage is? The greatest part of this passage is that no matter what's going on in my life, and no matter how many times that I fail, what I love about this passage is this. It says that if I simply fix my gaze upon Jesus Christ, then I can be filled with his fullness once again. No matter how much I messed up, no matter what kind of crap's going on in my life, if I simply choose, set my heart upon, set my mind upon Christ alone, I can be filled with his fullness once again. And that's what you were created for. That's what you were meant for. That's what you need to walk into, walk into and walk in. You know what I'm saying? This is the life that God gave us. Yes, the Christian journey takes continuous effort. But when fixed upon Christ alone, that arduous journey is always eclipsed by his goodness and love. Psalm 23, it says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in heaven forever. That's fullness. Set your hearts and minds on things above and let's live our lives in the fullness of all that he is. Let's pray. If you've never made that fundamental shift to die to your old life so that you could live out the new one, can you do that today? Repent of it. To claim the blood of Christ, that, that, that life is dead. And you've been forgiven. The foundations and the structure are all destroyed so that you can now live your new life in Christ. And then will you embrace that? Thank him for that and ask him to help you live that out for his glory. Let's really live these new lives that are fixated upon Christ alone so that our hearts and our minds can constantly be found in heaven so that the whole direction of our lives, the whole direction of our families, the whole direction of our future can be for his name and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who not only saved us and forgave us and gave us this new life, but Father, we hear and as we read these passages, it's obvious that you want to equip us with every single strength, with every single mindset, with every single perspective and philosophy to seek after you, to make our whole lives about you and your glory. God, we pray, help us because we need your help. 
We can't do it on our own. We always want to. There's so many other things that seem more attractive. There's so many pressures of this world that are constantly pushing us deeper into the world. And so, God, we need your help so that we can remain fixated upon you and you alone. And Father, you know, we're just kids. Sometimes we just really do need you to affirm our faith and to empower our faith and to help us take real steps, God, that's empowered by you. Lord, we pray, work in the lives of our people here, your people here, so that they may truly live this life that's fixated upon you, where their hearts and their minds truly are set upon you. And though that's difficult, Father, may your goodness and your love continually reign upon their hearts, their lives, so all they would want to do is to give you glory and worship you. We thank you, God, so much for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.